Well, okay, I think as we've got limited time, so we officially more or less say that we're going to start. Go for it. You can sort of, I don't know, if you need to censor anything, <laughs> you can say censor, not that it needs to be censored. Um, so all I'm going to do quickly, I'm just going to quickly do an intro. The idea is to do, I'll just quickly sort of introduce you. Um, and then, yeah, I've got some actually prepared quite a bit. So, you know, I've got some questions here. <laughs> so you're going to be put on, put, put on the spot a bit. Um, yeah, so that's okay with you. We'll we'll get started. Yeah, you can roll. Okay, cool. Okay, so today we are here with a good friend and colleague, uh, Emil von Maltitz. He's down in South Africa. I'm up here in Switzerland. He is a professional photographer who does a lot of different things. Please correct me if I <laughs> if I go off not off script, off topic completely. Um, yeah, besides running his own photographic studio, he has um, a photographic workshop on photographic workshop of photographic touring company. Um, and we've known each other for quite a long time. Uh, we've been since since university. It's more than 20 years. It's over 20 years now. Yeah. yeah. Not I mean, we've, we've drifted in and out of touch during that time. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. So in that being myself being a uh, now probably an ex-professional photographer <laughs> since since coming to Switzerland. I still do photography, obviously, but not on a full-time basis. Um, and as mentioned in my original introductory episode to this podcast, uh, I would like to I like to chat to people who I think do some some cool stuff, some some you know, just people following their passions, doing what they like, and making it work, whether it's uh, on a local level, international. Etc. Etc. And uh, yeah, I got in touch with Emil to set up this podcast. We both doing it between meetings with kids and dropping kids off and picking them up. So um, without further ado, I think we'll we'll get into it. And I just want to say before we actually get into it is that one of the reasons I think this will be quite quite a cool story as well. Besides that, he does interesting stuff because he actually thinks he's not interesting. So I think. Oh well, no. Yeah, I'm sure there's more interesting people than that. And you also <laughs> missed the point, the the part where we worked together. You were also involved with Nature's Light as an instructor. Yes, of course. Before we left South Africa, um, yeah, we did some uh, did some lovely workshops together, did some nice trips, and that was hopefully going to continue. And then a lot of uh, sort of got thrown quite a, a few curveballs, and uh, yeah, I ended up in uh, in Switzerland. But hopefully, we can still work together in future um uh, yeah. it's, it's gestating in my brain i'd like it yeah same 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 but um yeah but that's maybe uh, uh a conversation for another day but that's definitely a yeah. pin on the on the on the how do you say definitely put a pin in that what's on the on the to-do list on <laughs> on the inspiration in to-do list yes <laughs> it's up on the it's, it's on the board yeah okay so first uh, I don't know. Should, should I do this chronologically, or should I just sort of pull them out as a <laughs> at random? Are well, you ready? If you, if you have a little dartboard, you can just throw it at the, at the board, <laughs> and we go from there. I'll do it like this. Um, okay, maybe what makes the most sense is just quickly. So the idea is obviously to get a bit into what you do and why you do it, but also a little bit more on a personal level. Do you want to give us a quick uh, backstory on, on on who is Emil? Sure. Um, I'm, I'm attempting to make a living with a camera, I suppose. Uh, it's something I love doing. It's uh, something I've always done. I mean, you and I met through photography back probably it was 2002 or 2001. 2002. No, 2001. 
I think. Yeah, around there, 2001, 2002. Yeah. Yeah. Photographic Society and the Mountain Club uh, at Rhodes University. So I've always had a camera exactly. in my hand. I've always been yeah. interested in it. Um, and shortly after leaving in the university and actually trying my hand at uh, earning my living in the degree, the field that I actually studied, I very rapidly came back into photography and we've been trying to do that ever since. Uh, being a photographer means you have, as you can remember as well, you've got multiple um, sort of things in the air, multiple balls that you're trying to juggle. So, yes, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I do my commercial studio, obviously, Lime Photo, which I'm in at the moment, uh, <laughs> or at least this is the, the space that I do all the product photography with. And then there's Nature's Light, and I've increasingly been doing more documentary film work as well, which is, I'm hoping, will be something that'll grow into the future. I don't know if that's a backstory, though. Yeah. <laughs> that's more of like a, a, a current story, but... That's a here and now. Here <laughs> and now, yes. So why photography then? I know we obviously know it now it's a massive, big passion of yours, but well, why Yeah, so, I mean, as I say, it's always been a part of my life. Um, I initially took it up when I was a, a teenager. I suppose I must have been about 13 or even 12. Uh, and I was fascinated by the natural world. And I was a lepidopterist of all things. So I collected butterflies and to stop the weevils from eating the butterflies and actually get a record of them, I saved up and bought a camera and camera arrived. Mm -hmm. The hobby of lepidoptery and insect collection and all that disappeared almost overnight as I became more uh, ensconced into photography and I've been doing that ever since. But for me, one of the okay. critical things around it is just that act of creation, being able to step mm -hmm. out and appreciate the world in a visually aesthetic manner, which... I still firmly believe that photographers have a greater appreciation for the visual world around us simply because we are more attuned and attentive to it. Uh, you go, you walk mm. through the forest and your average um, walker will just wander through. Whereas the photographer looks at the way mm. that the light falls on the leaves. They look at the texture in the, bra in the, the bark that they're walking past. Yeah. All of that kind of, you get it. You, it's, it's this visual high that you're on the entire time. And I think that creativity if you're passionate about photography, that's what drives you and it drives me, certainly. So yeah. even when you can't pay the bills at the end of the month, you still want to pick up a camera and take a photo. <laughs> and buy an, and still get more cameras. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I actually, yeah, I, I think personally, I quite um, agree or ident ident identify. Yeah, I, I agree with you there because like you said, for me, photography definitely like that. It's, a, it's like a... Um, it's like a language, like something that you learn and you can never unlearn it. And when you're working, even if you're like walking to the forest, like you say, if you're walking on the beach, if you're, if it's early morning, if it's midday, besides just looking at things and observing, you're always looking at how the light falls on something. And um, yeah, it's just always, it's, it's, it's always with you. And then obviously having the camera to, to capture that and then share that with people, whether it's in person or online. Um, and I often find myself thinking, you know, even if, even if all the online world would disappear, I would, you know, I like it so much. I would still do it anyway. Absolutely. You know, it's not, you know, yeah. it's not something we do or or listen for for attention or for it's actually the act that act of creating images that 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 brings the the joy or the satisfaction. Yeah. So in in many ways, that whole thing, the idea of the the act of the creation, it's the, I would like my images to have a longer half life than I have. If somebody can recognize mm. a photograph, but they don't know who the hell I am, I think I've actually won. That's that's a kind of goal. It's not yeah. about the photographer. It's about the image. Does the image have more sort of um, uh, 
uh, has have more of a storytelling purpose than the photographer. But you also mentioned just now about sharing information and that's it. Photographers are storytellers at heart. So when you mm. step out and you take a photograph, you're actually, you're not just explaining this is what the view looks like, or this is what the scene is. You're telling a story behind that scene, which is why we put so much heart into taking a photograph because it's not just yeah. the photograph of the thing or the scene. It's your interpretation of that scene. It's your emotions and your feeling behind it. When you take a photograph, mm. how you feel when you take that photo informs what you're doing with your aperture, what your, your shutter speed, how you're going to be processing it at a later stage, everything. So it's a very, very personal um, act of creation when you do take a photograph and you're telling a story on top of all of that. Yeah. yeah. Are you cool. stumped? <laughs> no, no. no, no, I'm just taking it in. I'm just not trying to, yeah. um, I agree with so much of what you're saying. I don't want to, I want to butt in every, every 10 seconds with my own viewpoint because my idea is to actually get, you know, to get your... Uh, um, well, yeah, I was thinking about the fact that, okay, so obviously I still earn a living out of my camera, but yeah. you're still telling stories through the camera now with what you've moved to. So even though you're mm. not necessarily heading out every day to earn a living out of your camera, I'm still seeing a ton of photographs from you on the internet coming out fresh all the time. And maybe there's even more passion behind it because you're no longer earning an income from it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's there's definitely something to be said for that. Whereas, you know, I find myself now finally also well having the time as a as a relative as, as a relative uh, a relative term because now I find myself when I do manage to make time, I can actually go back through my image archive and organize right. it a bit better. Well, number one and number two, find images that have never seen the light of day in terms of either making a print or getting it out online because I've always been, at least initially, you know, ten. 15 years ago, uh, maybe a little bit longer when you're earning a living from the craft, you always have your back against the wall initially, and maybe you get a little bit ahead to, to create. And oh, sorry, I'm just seeing, <laughs> but so many devices here, it's like peeping around. Let me put All the screens. <laughs> so that's quite nice. Yeah. So, you know, that, that pressure of actually doing client work and getting that out. Um, and now you're, I've, I've actually realized how in, disarray my 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 image archive is actually quite organized but it's just not as cohesive as as i would have liked so sort of slowly working yeah. through that which is quite nice and then going out making images of landscapes when there's no pressure to you know produce a print for a gallery or for a um uh, yeah a company or to do yeah and just taking client work here now now that the language and the connections are getting better um if it suits or if time allows yeah. you know between everything nice to be able to pick pick what you want to do and let go of the stuff that you don't feel is going to give you any yeah, kind of yeah for sure and also focusing then on when you shoot it. yeah and not necessarily having to photograph uh, something that you're not passionate about yourself you know you're passionate about making images but not necessarily of the subject matter and that often shows um on a on a professional level you can obviously get past that but on a personal level that that tends to 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 come to the surface so now it focusing can on that. it can grind away at you i mean yeah. one of the guys i assisted early on in my career as a photographer didn't mm. like he didn't enjoy photography he never took any photo uh, photographs for his own use or for his own sort of edification for that matter Okay. Uh, so he was, and I, I use his term a lot, a glorified Xerox machine, and he hated <laughs> photography as a result. And I would, I would hate to get to that point. So I'm, I am a glorified Xerox machine for a lot of work. I mean, we do yeah. Um, yeah. floor photographs where we literally photograph floor planks and carpets that are going to go into room visualizers. It's mind numbingly dull. 
but very, very technical. And because it has to be absolutely color accurate so that when it goes up to print after it's gone through the whole CMYK process, your yeah. client can look at the photo and say, yes, that is the color of that floor. Uh, but there's no creativity that goes inside there mm. apart from yeah, maybe. Yeah. So but and it pays I can, the bills. <laughs> don't stay in your photography. If you don't continue doing stuff for your soul, photography just becomes a tech. You become a technician. Yeah. You press a button and you get no joy out of it. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's I mean there's there, there's a lot lot behind that. But um yeah. Anyway, so it brings me to the next question. Any okay. other hobbies? <laughs> Funnily enough, yes, there is. I, I took up a hobby in 2020. Yes, it was around the time of lockdown. Uh <laughs> I brew beer. Ah, yes, I think I think. I'm not sure if we did touch on that. I mean, I know you enjoy a good beer, a good beer, but I didn't. So you bring, so you bring um, from scratch or from from like a kit? No, like the, you from know, scratch. You... From it's it's called all grain brewing. We, um, yeah. I have somebody else mill the grain for me, but then yeah. I do the full the full commute from there. So you yeah, you steep it in, in your mash tun and you produce mm. a wort and you, yeah. Okay. Because yeah. I know Absolutely you can also... love it. And it... sorry. No, no. So I know because I know you can also brew beer. Like you can get into that process of halfway through with the where it's already you're still brewing, but it's not from quite as far back as I think as as you're doing it. With the, with the they, there is a there's a much easier way to get into it where you mm. basically buy a kit that you add to you boil that up, you add add your hops, uh, you put that into a vat of water which can be cold yeah. as well, so there's no issue around that. And so I'm just stopping a phone from ringing over here there you go uh you and then you put it into your fermenting vessel add the yeast and two three weeks later you take it out put it in some bottles with some priming sugar and you've got beer but um, i quite like the whole hands-on process from the very yeah. beginning where you take your grains and you steep yeah. them or uh, in a or sparge them in a in a, a big tub so that you yeah. can get all of the sugars out of that yeah. so, but it's also takes of fun it takes yeah, yeah. I mean, there's but there's also a bit of extra equipment involved in in, in that process. Ah, a little bit. It's uh, you need you need uh, uh, several bits and pieces like a cooler box that you've turned into your mash tun yeah. and a great big kettle. Uh, well, we call it a kettle, but it's basically just a thirty liter pot or bigger. And mm. then that's the only specific equipment that you would need and for you that. Need a, but don't you need a, a a cooler as well, like a counter current? kind of flow to cool the beer oh well yeah so the idea is that you you have to cool down your wort as quickly as possible quickly, yeah. and for that uh this is very far from photography but anyway <laughs> yeah sorry uh, yeah uh so yes you push cold water through that to try and um cool down your your wort as quickly as possible yeah. so that you don't have a changeover of the uh, the fennels and so on so you, you don't get a bananary flavor basically in your beer right at the end so oh, okay Yes, you you come from also a slightly well, I wouldn't say uh, distilling background with your phot photographing wines in the past, so you know okay. the process is quite well, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, I did I did brew some beer as well in Stellenbosch. Oh, did you? Okay. I had some, yeah, I mean, I was more not completely alone. We we were more like two or three people always did it together. So some people had some of the gear, and some so we always came together. And some people oh. were always better at some part of the process. Uh, it seems to I be was... a Stellenbosch thing, I see. <laughs> well, it's it's a heart of the wine region, so beer adds quite well to that. But um, yeah, uh, yeah, okay. So beer brewing, and are you still mm. doing a lot of running? 
still running. I haven't had time to really go and do much um, uh, mini races. I think the last race I ran was um, Wayne Marathon two years ago. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. So I haven't, uh, but I mean, I, I had a 9K run this morning um, and sure. the kids are getting nice. into running as well. So I had them, I, I went on a, a short 5K run with my middle my, my middle daughter and my yeah, my son the other day. Well. So yeah, I'm still running, but not not as seriously as I was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, it's just keeping the the legs sticking over. That's essentially what I'm trying to do. I mean, I'm in my long run now is, well, my normal weekly weekly or weekday run is uh, thirty minutes. So just between oh, yeah. like at lunchtime quickly. Yeah, but you, you yeah your your thirty minutes is a lot faster or at least more distance length than mine. <laughs> I suspect. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, let's move along quickly before we get too sidetracked. Um, yeah. So yeah, so you got into photography, became a became obviously a passion, and and, and finally trying to something that you try to make a living at, a lot like um, like I did, hmm. and which obviously meant you had to get cameras. So what did you get, or why? I mean, I know you shoot on Nikon. Why Nikon? Essentially. Uh so. Probably it's historical in a way. When I first started doing photography, I actually started on an old Pentax ME Super. So this is back in the days of film, obviously. Yeah. Uh, loved the camera, but always, and I mean, this was the the, the early 90s. So it was before mm. before um, Canon really made a, well, actually, I suppose they brought out the, the EF lenses and the EOS mount, but it was mm. always unobtainable. But I loved the idea of a Nikon as a child, okay, or as a teenager. Now okay. I'd probably be a little bit more rational about my equipment choice. But in those days, it was, I had to have a Nikon. That was back then. Um, so I ended up with the Nikon F3 and absolutely mm -hmm. loved it. And of course, when you literally grow up with the equipment in your hand, it ends up kind of being natural in the sense yeah. of the, the control layout, then the lenses that you've eked your money towards. So mm -hmm. changing systems becomes very difficult. So I got locked into Nikon literally as a 14 year old um uh, and have been there ever since i don't know where i'm going there. next i did i took a, a brief sojourn into fujifilm when they brought out the xt1 because i absolutely loved the idea of the the old retro style bodies mm. and so on I still yeah, like that concept and i have a lot of photographers who come join us on workshops who use the nikon not nikon sorry the uh, fujifilm xt series and excesses and they're mm. great great cameras but I've yeah. always just had Nikon basically. So I'm currently shooting on a Nikon D850. I am filming this on a, a Nikon D780. So I haven't gone mirrorless. Mm. I would put that in the parentheses of yet, but uh, it's also because of the costs involved. And quite frankly, yeah. the image quality I'm getting out of the cameras I have at the moment, you don't need to go mirrorless. Um, it's, no. if, if the image quality is the most important thing to you, Mirrorless is not necessary, but it's an it's great, and the, the the cameras are amazing. And certainly, in terms of the film work that I've been doing, there are times when I sit there wishing I had a mirrorless camera that I could use as a I could film with with it yeah. to my eye, so that I can get better stability while I'm shooting some okay. of the documentary stuff, particularly yeah. in low light. And uh, mm. so, yes, there are good benefits to going mirrorless, but yeah, I'm still on DSLR. Okay, yeah, yeah, and I mean the D850 is a is a is a absolutely monstrously amazing uh dslr or camera yeah you had um, one briefly yeah i had I one briefly and then i sold it <laughs> <laughs> that's because the files were just 
killed my computer at the time. I think I got it quite early on in the in its in its releases. So I managed to pick one up, mm. but I soon came to my came to my well, it came to my senses because I had to go into a bit of uh, temporary uh, credit card debt to get it, which I was going to recoup the next month with some project lined up. But then anyway, that's another yeah. story. Um, but I, yeah, I think I have to agree with you there in terms of of, of mirrorless because, like you know, I've gone down that route. Um, but I still have my my my. I mean, uh, well, if I can take a step back, also, I mean, I I ended up with Nikon because of my first, uh, my very first uh, SLR was happened to be a, a Nikon FM two that I bought from a local photographer back in in Iceland where I grew up, and yeah, okay. also just ended up by chance with with Nikon. Very happy I did because I think if I have to take a quick overview of the whole camera ecosystem at the moment. Even even if you include mirrorless, but maybe excluding mirrorless, Nikon for me, and again maybe it's like you said, it's that it's bias of actually having it in your hand on a daily basis for such a long time. It just makes the most sense. If you look at Canon, I mean, yeah, they do a lot of great things, but the, the layout on the body, where the dials are, how they work, how sensitive they are, it doesn't. It's not that intuitive for for me. And the I, same I've also, never, yeah, I've yeah. never felt, I've never felt like it is natural, particularly with the way that your thumb. And your fingers wrote, uh, move around the, yeah, the dials and everything. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, no offense to any Canon users out there. Sorry. <laughs> um, Look, ultimate, ultimately, at the end of the day, they're all tools. It doesn't really matter what yeah, you use. And it's, uh, the image quality out of all of them is phenomenal. Fujifilms yeah, are incredible. I'm still blown away by the little Olympuses. And I think you've got an Olympus now, or did you say you've got a Panasonic? Um, no, I've got some Panasonic cameras. Um, Micro Four actually... Thirds ones. Yeah, Micro Four Thirds, the Panasonic G9, which is yeah. amazing, which actually reminds me a lot of of of, of the Nikon's, but uh, older Nikon's. And then uh, I picked up a, a, a GX9, which is like a, a rangefinder, uh, yeah. which is lovely. Yeah. Sam, I'm just gonna pause you for a second. Can you hear the ba the battery on my battery pack at the moment? No. No. Okay. Hopefully Can you that hear it, means obviously. Give me two seconds, and I'm okay. quickly going to shift that round out the door so that I don't get the word. Okay. Okay, cool. No worries. <laughs> okay, so while uh, Emil is away, let me guys quickly see where we are here with the questions. Uh, yeah, we're making slow progress. We'll get there. Thanks for sticking with us. It's a board, but this podcast is both a, a catch-up because we haven't actually spoken to each other for a long time and a podcast all in one. So I hope you... Uh, you appreciate that as well and getting some yeah maybe getting some insight whether it's hopefully mostly with photography and some beer brewing beer brewing is, is a remarkably fun hobby that you get the beer are you still there i'm coming back right. <laughs> okay right there we go that should be better sorry the whole problem of load shedding and batteries and trying to sort out that uh i can actually have a light on otherwise we'd be in the dark right now <laughs> oh yeah but you've, you've got a light through a modifier at the moment there correct yes oh, yeah okay. i've got a, it's not the window but you've got a large sliding door there no i do you're absolutely right uh you of course you've slept in the studio once before so you <laughs> yes, know <laughs> before we headed up into the bird once yes yeah um <laughs> so but the problem is it's we've got a really overcast day outside so there's not actually oh, okay. that much light coming in so if oh, i switch okay. this off you'll see um oh yeah, yeah. switch it on switch that, it on <laughs> yeah switch it on exactly <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah right i mean your load shedding or with especially with studio work and lighting and, and although a lot of this stuff it's it's from battery packs but it obviously needs to be charged and 
once they yes. empty, you know, yeah. So look, a lot of a lot of things are battery based, and everybody just they learn to get by, basically. Yeah. Um, oh crud. What? No, that's correct. Sorry, no, something yeah. just recordings. Uh, <laughs> Good to make sure. <laughs> um, they learn they learn to get by, and I mean we've got this little battery pack that we use regularly. It can power two iMacs for two hours or one one for four hours, and okay. uh, obviously we've got battery packs on most of our lights now, which we've had to yeah. do because of load shedding, which is basically yeah. just a, a a government euphemism for rolling blackout. But anyway. <laughs> Yeah, I have to admit that's something I don't. You don't miss. I don't, I don't miss. Um, it is quite funny when you speak to people here about it. You know, like try and explain to them what what uh, what um, load shedding what load shedding is. You know, they're like, what do you mean the the the, the government can't supply enough electricity for everyone? Yeah. That doesn't. They can see them thinking like it doesn't make it doesn't make it, any it sense. It doesn't. It doesn't register. It doesn't compute. Yeah. And then. And then you try to explain that this is a regular thing and you even have a schedule. So yeah, you know you're not going to have power for two hours a day at this time and then this time yeah. and then that time. So, But you yeah. still have to pay for everything. Correct. Oh, oh yeah. and the prices go up all the time as well. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's fine. But I'm glad that, yeah, I'm glad we could manage to to uh, sort it out between between everything. <laughs> okay, yeah. so we got to, to, to Nikon. I think... Um, Actually, wanted to still quickly just add something there because you mentioned the Fujifilm and the mirrorless and like whether it's necessary or not. And mm -hmm. I've obviously gone a bit down the mirrorless route, like I was actually I was getting to that. Yeah, I mean, at the moment, I still have my my DSLR, my my Nikon D810, and I've picked up a, a, a D3, like I mentioned, and oh, really? yeah, a, lo a lovely, lovely camera. They are, um, yeah. Main reason why I picked up the D3 is one. I mean, I, remember, I think maybe you can relate. So growing up. Or being even being a professional photographer at the time, or aspiring, or semi-professional, I mean, you had the, the the Nikon's, you know, with the normal size bodies, but the the, the pro level bodies were always the big ones, you know, like That's like it. you could turn them portrait and still have the, like that was always like if you had a uh, that was like in the DSLR era or the SLR era, where that was a sign of someone you were really a pro when you had that big, massive, heavy yeah. <laughs> camera body, and I never managed to be able to afford it back when I was actually being being a poor professional photographer. So now that I'm not done, that actually DSLRs is uh, actually quite affordable if you pick them up second hand. Um, they are, I still yes. love how they look and how they feel in the hand and that weight. And the D3 also happened to be the first full frame uh, digital camera produced by by Nikon, if I have my yeah, facts. The D3 is, it's one of the nicest cameras to hold. I had a D3X for a while, but I, I, you were talking about the, um, having the battery packed cameras. And I mean, the camera of choice that I was using when I met you was the Nikon F4S. Still to this day, one of my favorite cameras. Mm. Yeah, I still have my FM2 and my F, I've got an F3 as well. From, from... Uh, I remember your FM2, yeah. <laughs> and I think that's also what made, what what was so nice about the Fujifilm that reminded me a lot of, of, of the layout and how those cameras work with the manual dials. And it just was so natural to use. I think even now my my mirrorless, my, my, my Panasonic's I find well, I'm slowly getting more used to the to the to the um, all the auto features. I'm still probably to a large extent using my my my, my fancy modern cameras, like I use my my um, my old film cameras because I got so used to that. You know, I don't. You feel when I, I find when people say you got auto this and auto that and let the camera do this for you. Uh, I don't know. I never got uh, got so far down that 
Yeah, I, no. I, I mean, even though I've got a D850 and all the modern cameras and so on, I'm still invariably in manual mode and quite often yeah. in manual focus. So. Yeah, I mean, I haven't used face detect focus for anything. Like this, all, all manual or single point. I'm so used to well, doing that. Okay, I do focus, use reframe, one... focus, reframe. Yeah, there is one reason I've I've come to kind of rely on face face focus, and that's only when I can get it to work, and that's when I'm doing this. Because I've got the camera there, and if I move around, it should oh, yeah, actually like focus. That, I sure. hope. Or, so, or you can really go like completely hands off and just use an iPhone because that just does everything. You know, that's <laughs> no hundred percent. I mean, I was I was watching something on YouTube literally today about um, the uh, the shot on iPhone. How do they actually get it to look like shot on iPhone? It is an iPhone, but they've also got about. I don't know, $20,000 worth of lighting and gimbals and dollies yeah, and tracks. Sure. And yes, yeah. so it's not just the camera. It's everything else that goes into taking that image or creating that yeah. scene. No, no, absolutely. But I mean, for me, as far as, as this stuff goes, it's so nice. With, uh, I mean, this might sound a little bit um, uh, completely the opposite of what it should be. But I mean, I love, I can, I can see why people love it so much because you literally pull it out, press record and, and it's just, it stays in focus. You can change. You have to see different lenses. I can even use the sound if I, it's 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 like an all-in-one studio. He says in essence, and I've actually yeah. used it before on small productions, like shot whole little shorts on 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 it. If it was only for for YouTube or for for online use, but um, so anyone listening, your iPhone is fine. You can use it. <laughs> you can actually yes. Yeah. Um. Okay. Cool. So. Film versus film versus digital. Any thoughts? Well, I'm still shooting film. Uh, I do. I have a black and white project, which uh, no doubt if you actually come, come down to South Africa again, I will end up photographing you. It's called Faces in My Life. And it's all the okay. people who, I, who I've met, not necessarily just random everybody, but anybody mm -hmm. who there's been a connection or there's some kind of influence or you got you've gotten to know each other kind of thing. Yeah. I try to take their portrait, but it's all shot on one film stock on one camera with one lens. And it's um, Ilford Delta 400 mm -hmm. on a Zenza Bronica ETRSI. It's a yeah, ETRSI with an 80 mil lens. So it's all the same. And mm -hmm. one of the things about it is, look, the image quality isn't as good as shooting on my D850. I can get far, far better images from a technical sort of perfection point of mm. view if we're talking about um like the fineness of the grain or the clarity or the sharpness or even oh, even the dynamic range or exposure mm. latitude if we were talking film is better on digital but yeah. having the film camera slows everything down and it becomes more about the moment being photographed and everybody i've photographed has said it's it becomes more of an of an event with the digital camera it's it's almost like a throwaway thing it's done it's yeah. dusted yeah the film we have to set it up i've got to make sure i've got everything right if i'm using any kind of lighting it takes that much longer i've got yeah. the light meter in one hand i'm checking levels all the time so it becomes this whole like I say it's an event it's it's more than just taking the photograph it's an mm. experience in itself being photographed and taking the photograph so yeah, absolutely. in that regard i still love shooting film i still mm. put uh, black and white film through my Nikon FM uh, F3 regularly. 
and just go and play basically and it's about that experience of taking photographs and seeing the mm. world and also not knowing exactly how that photograph's going to come out there's yeah. that sense of wonder still when you yeah. process the process the negatives and you look at them for the first time up against the light and it's awesome so mm. digital is better from a technical point of view but they're both image making devices and ways to view the world so mm. in that regard they're not better than I, neither is better than the other it's just another mm. way of taking a creating an image so you still yeah so you would say maybe that you prefer from a working perspective digital but from a, on a on a what's that uh, yeah i mean i would i would be excited if i had a client come to me and say we want you to shoot this in film absolutely i'd love it absolutely mm. love it in some ways it's a lot less work because you don't have to sit behind a computer processing those photographs after oh, the tell film. me about it oh. <laughs> yeah uh <laughs> i mean the wedding photographers of the old days they had it easy man sure <laughs> not that i'm a wedding photographer and i don't want to put down anybody over here but my first weddings i shot when, when i did shoot them i shot them on film yeah I would, same yeah process the images take them to the lab they would pro they would sorry i'd take the photographs take them to the lab they'd process them they'd work out all the color correction and then better yet they'd put the album together that's <laughs> so, so much so much simpler <laughs> yeah uh nowadays uh you got to do everything from yeah. from the moment you get there you're taking the photographs then you're processing them then not only do you have to design a bespoke album that looks more like a glossy coffee table book you then mm. also have to put together a website and then do a cd with music and all this kind of pizzazz and uh, there's a good reason i'm not a wedding photographer yeah I was it, just maybe I, maybe i also suck at it i don't know so. <laughs> i was just gonna say i'm very glad i got out of that soon after moving yeah. to, to, to digital thankfully yeah um uh, documentary yeah. kind of stuff the corporates the industrial work uh landscape obviously those kind of things they're exciting they're interesting they i, I love them they you don't feel like you're going to have bridezilla and a mother coming at you at the end of the day i should not take cut that don't put that in the <laughs> you're not going to you're not going to irritate anybody and they're not going to be you're not going to make any like life-changing mistakes oh, i've got vervet monkeys outside coming yeah. to watch us now yeah, yeah. speaking of vervet monkeys i've got this i don't know whether it's the zoom or, or whether it's something i'm doing with my hands but i've got keep saying thumbs up i can see it too <laughs> you can see it too i don't know if it's something in my head like it pops up on the screen i was like come on. i was like are Me. you doing this on youtube or something <laughs> i've no idea Maybe someone is watching it already and doing a lot. Of um, yeah, yeah, back for later. We've got the better quality ones from the cameras. <laughs> <laughs> but with, with with regard to film, I think you know there was a big excitement. I think we both can relate because we 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 grew up and 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 sort of also moved into the initial parts of a full time photography career with film, and then when digital came along. There was a big excitement of of moving to digital because of cutting out a lot of the the steps between developing and the waiting time, and you can instantly yeah. see blah blah blah. But I think there's also along the way lost a lot of that that that, that personality and the the thing that made photography special in a in, mm. a, in, a, in a in a big way. And if you look at a lot of the um the I don't know what we we now I mean we call them the, the like in painting the old masters or the the famous photographers back in the film era like Cot Bessel and and um. And those guys where a lot of the images weren't always technically sharp or in focus or, or or framed technically correct, but it was the emotion that the image evoked in the viewer, which was made made the the image have that that large impact that 
um, absolutely. Um, I mean, if you just think about Alfred Stieglitz and Robert Kappa, okay, so two different eras, but. I mean, Alfred Stieglitz, he was supposedly part of the uh, sort of the romantic period in a way. I'm trying mm. to remember, it was um, uh, post, not postmodernism. I'll think of it in a moment. But anyway, uh, his images are not sharp. And Robert Carper, his most famous, famous photographs were a complete cock up when it came around to the processing of the photographs because they were processed in boiling water. So those are the ones of the D-Day landing. Um, oh, so they're okay. they're badly exposed. They are the the emulsion literally slipped in some places, mm. and in a lot of the cases, the photographs aren't even in focus. But as you said, it's the moment and the emotion and the the, the raw power behind those photographs that make them that make them fantastic. Cartier Bresson, a lot of his photographs are also they're ever so slightly soft, still amazing. Um, yeah. I I think you can just you can reel off all of them. They're it. The, the the technical perfection only really started to become a thing, I think, in the late 1980s. And that's when you okay. start seeing National Geographic photographers in particular, where all of the images are absolutely crystal pin sharp. And then mm. going into digital, that became more and more and more of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in a way, and and, and like I said, for for many applications, that's great. But I think it's also taken a lot of the soul out of, out of photography today, whereas a lot of the... Uh, maybe it's just because my my YouTube feed has been tailored to a lot of the stuff I end up watching. But on the photography side, so many videos on on how, which which camera, which sensor is more noisy than this one, and yeah. blah blah blah. And it, it it's it's painful sometimes to see the amount of videos that produced on that versus something like the just understanding of um, classic photography techniques or just understanding. Yeah. how to express yourself in the image that you're taking or conveying the message that you want to convey by by using whether it's an iPhone or a D850 or uh, a Canon camera. It's the same square in which you have to compose the image in, mm, in, in my that's opinion, right. you know? Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's a philosophical discussion that can definitely, I might have to crack open some wine if we head down, if we head down well, that route. Well, I was just thinking it's also it's it's what people are doing with their photography. Why are you a photographer? Are you a photographer mm. because you're wanting to create an image or because do you or do you like the toys or do you like doing the things that photography takes you to do? So for yeah. instance, if you're into mountain biking but you're capturing it on a camera, what are you more interested in? Capturing the image or uh, or the mountain biking? Mm. Uh for a lot of photographers, I think it's the gear. It's not necessarily the photograph and they are probably the predominant number of photographers out there. And again, maybe I'm going to get some flack for saying this, but <laughs> when the gear is more important than what you're photographing and how you are conveying that, you need to start, you need to take a close look at why you're doing photography. Mm. And yeah, but you know what? Something. There's nothing wrong with that either. Boys toys. And I, this is something that I find I, in I particular. Hmm? I can relate as well. I mean, both yeah. cameras and other stuff. <laughs> I mean, I do it as well. I find myself on YouTube all the time. Go, oh, well, that's nice. And, you know, you get excited about it. Now, the interesting thing I've found is that some of the most creative photographers that I've met have been women. Because, and again, I don't want to put into kind of, uh, uh, put it into left and right and male and female and all that kind of thing. But by and large, and maybe it's a truism, I don't know. But a lot of women photographers that I've met are not hung up on equipment. Whereas the men, it's all about the equipment. <laughs> and as a result, the people who are more creative and 
more courageous about creating images that are not necessarily technically perfect, but are they resonate from an aesthetic point of view. It's very mm. often from female photographers who aren't hung up on how many pixels it's got and can it do 120 frames per second and I've got to make sure I've got an f1.8 lens and all that yeah. kind of rubbish. They just pick yeah. up the camera and they create this incredible photography that is, it, 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 it's not perfect, but it's awesome. Yeah, it really hits home the 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 message, the the you know the emotion and the and and, and the, the the soul be, be behind the image. Essentially, like you mentioned earlier, the camera just becomes a tool to convey the the story. Yes, and that yeah. is more about your connection to your subject than the camera that you're holding. So, Absolutely. and you, I mean, you can see this good, great landscape photographers tend to have an affinity or a love for the the landscape itself. Yeah, they know the landscape intimately before actually picking up a camera. Yeah, that's it, and it's the same with people with portrait photographers, and um, I would say even war correspondents. Those who have more of a feeling of empathy and an mm. ability to connect with their subject matter, yeah, they make better photographers. It's mm. not about the camera; it's about your connection between the photographer who is telling a story and who is basically the interlocutor between the subject and their message for whoever is viewing those images at a later mm. stage yeah oh. absolutely yeah that, that's uh i think that's one of the most important points about photography but um but the gear is nice also <laughs> i mean i like toys who yeah. doesn't <laughs> so. um but that's actually one of the things that i've also sort of had to re-teach or re-realize -re re-teach myself now not having uh yeah to do it on a, on a for on a work level or just that you know because i've built up a lot of gear over the year for certain applications i've actually stopped slowly getting rid of it um still keeping a core amount but you're know, moving to uh micro four thirds for the, uh, that's really a size difference i think there's a big myth about people moving to mirrorless for the weight savings because now with nikon the mirrorless cameras even canon a lot of a lot of those cameras are the same size as the original dslrs the lenses are even bigger right. because of yeah. the wider apertures and the um well the z8 basically weighs the same as the d850 and if you were to yeah. take a 50 millimeter 1.8 uh on a, the f mount and put that on the d850 it's actually going to be lighter than the z8 with its Equivalent yeah. Z mount, uh, fifty millimeter, one point eight. So yeah. yeah, the the weight savings aren't there unless you get a smaller sensor. That yeah. and because the glass is, you need less glass. Yeah, basically. and I mean that's one thing with the micro four thirds. I mean that's really the the the, the size of the glass of the lens. That's really big. That's quite that's very nice. You can fit a lot into a small into a small yeah. bag. But anyway, that, that, that's that's uh, that's also that's that's yeah, um, and yeah. So being being happy with less or not. With less in terms of the amount of gear, but also more basic gear. Yeah. Uh, um, and also finding uh, different needs now for what the gear has to do for me in my different applications and things that I want to take the, the gear on, which is also a cool process. Uh, but that's something I'm also working towards producing a little, whether it's a blog post or a newsletter series, or even if it's a series of short videos. Um, and that's the fun part as well. You know, that's sort of now this podcast, uh, my Alpine Dispatches, Dispatches um, blog, that's a become a uh, sort of a, a way for me to express myself photographically, which I'm actually enjoying immensely because, like you mentioned earlier, it's something I can do. I do it for me. I'm not doing it for yeah. for someone. 
Um, well, it, it, they look good so far. I'm one of your followers. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, appreciate it. Um, Not just your mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's what. What can you? Yeah, what can you do? You, know, you can't ban them. You can't ban your parents from the internet. <laughs> You've got to roll with it. <laughs> um, anyway, so moving along quickly. Yeah, I've 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 got to go and fetch children as well from school in a moment. So how many minutes do you have? I've got about another ten. Okay, yeah, more or less. Okay. So quick. Okay, so yeah, we might have to do a a, 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 a recap a season, uh, uh, episode season two, two or three. So let's just quickly let's just okay. So without getting distracted. So uh, da, 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 da. okay, what some questions here? That maybe you know, you've recently started. Well, not recently. You have had a YouTube channel for a while, but you recently really put a lot of started to put a lot of effort into it, which I find quite I mean admirable or I admire quite a lot. Um, and it seems to be. It seems to be growing slowly. You're really leaning yeah. leaning into the capture one end of things, which I think is a good. I don't know whether it, I, think, I think it's something that you enjoy, and but it's also a good indirectly maybe a good strategy because there I think there's a lot of lack in information out there for for people. Um, so capture I mean, one it doesn't have the same kind of user base as something like Lightroom. I've yeah. always I've been a capture one user for a very very long time now. Um, dipped out of it a while back, but then re-entered again, probably seven years ago, eight years ago, and have been using it subs uh, subsequently since then. And one of the things I discovered when I was getting into YouTube was there is, as you just mentioned, not, not so much a dearth of information, but it's not exactly as abundant as the mm. Adobe Suites. So yes, maybe as a strategy, it's a fairly good strategy to do that, but it's also it's something I know. Um, yeah. So effectively, the YouTube channel is starting with what I know, which is going to be things like um, Capture One for a start, yeah. and then tripods, obviously, because I have been working with Leo Photo for the past four years now, five mm -hmm. years. So yeah. I know I'm, I'm a tripod nerd of note. So <laughs> uh, as a result, I talk about tripods. As it is, I'm going to Morocco in two weeks' time, and I'm going to be taking two new tripods with me to review while I'm there. Okay, um, cool. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that, actually. It's going to be quite cool. Yeah, it's a it's a new recce trip with Nature's Light, where you've got a bunch of what we call our super togs, or photographers who've traveled with us before, who mm. they heard we were doing a recce, and they said, cool, can we join? <laughs> so they're coming along as well. And if it works out, we will add it to our annual itinerary and hopefully awesome. run it every second year or something like that. Yeah. yeah. We're anyway, in, we're, yes. Yeah. So that's where Morocco. the YouTube channel is going. Yeah. We're in Morocco. Uh, we're doing a circuit. So we're starting off in Casablanca, then mm -hmm. traveling up north along the coast and then in towards the Atlas Mountains and Fez. Yeah. Uh, we visit Chefchouan there, the, the Blue City, which everybody knows about, mm -hmm. and then come down through the Atlas Mountains, have a spell in the Sahara Desert before heading along the base of the Atlas Mountains towards uh, uh, Marrakesh, where we finish off. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Wow. Have you been? No, not yet. It's not fast for not, me, yeah, but uh, I like I like that answer. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. No, it's always not yet. I would love to go at some stage. Yeah. Um. Anyway, keeping it keeping on track, staying on track, staying on track. Um. Let's see what other, I've got some. Uh, if, if if you've got any uh, if anybody out there feels like it, come subscribe to my YouTube channel. It makes it it makes a difference. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll put the links down in this description. Oh, sure. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um. Like that. So yeah, I mean we've touched on capture one, but in terms of your 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 editing 
philosophy. Like we talk about film, how hands off that was, how nice that was. Now we're in the digital digital era where often editing is a massive part of the of the mm. of the finished product or the process at least. Um yeah. and I find I myself for the last while I've moved sort of oscillated between a lot of editing and less editing. Um and then very complex editing for a lot of my product work. But now that I'm just yeah. doing stuff for myself and often very limited amounts of time, I actually I'm I find myself now doing maybe a tenth of what I normally do to an image. Okay. Yeah. I mean, besides just doing the normal, you know, exposure correction, highlights, shadows, um, yeah. whites, blacks. The kind of stuff you would have done in the photo lab, basically. Essentially, yeah. I mean, I leave a lot of the like like color grading. I leave all that stuff alone because I mean, essentially, a lot of my work being sort of more at the moment, more adventure or outdoor landscape based. I, in my mind, I wanted to look like when I saw it. Correct. Yeah. And more, more, yeah, so more realistic. I'm not going to put in another moon or a sky or a. And also, I mean, I don't want to spend five hours behind the computer. I'd rather be out making images. So, but anyway, yeah. so getting back to your editing philosophy at the moment. So I'm also in that vein. I like I, what I see is how I want it to look at the end. Even if that happens to be me seeing it through rose tinted glasses, I want it to convey how I felt and how what I saw, mm -hmm. even if it's in my imagination in front of me. So I don't do the sky replacements and all that kind of stuff either. I want it to be as natural as possible. So yeah. I have an affinity towards some of these new salons that have come out like the... Um, uh, in t the natural landscape photographer of the year based in the UK and South Africa's own South African photographer of the year, which has taken the same ethos of being completely natural. So yes, yeah. you can still do things like your panoramic stitch and you can still mm. do focus stacking, but the, the ethos behind it is that you represent the scene as accurately as what it was. Mm. It's natural. It's not... Yeah. It's not over the top. So some images might have more editing potentially, especially complex images where the shadow and the light just didn't seem to gel very nicely. And mm. it's not how I remembered it. Uh, but apart from that, the work that gets the most sort of attention tends to be exactly like you were saying, your product photography, because that, sorry, I keep looking outside because I've got literally a troop of monkeys there now. <laughs> and they've just gone into the kitchen and stolen a banana. Do you, want to... <laughs> Do you need to close something quickly? Hang on a second. Matthew, close doors, please, because the monkeys have gotten into the kitchen. Ah, oh, life in Africa. <laughs> ah, yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, to, to that, speaking to that as natural as possible, but also, like I said, still conveying a little bit of the, the feeling of what it was like to be there. So, I mean, it's not going to be, you know, the vibrancy or the saturation it's not going to be dialed up all the way to 100 percent, but yeah. there's going to be a little bit of of, of editing on, on 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 that side if needed um you know yeah both creative vision and and time uh allowing um, yeah no no i agree with you it's i you try and keep it as natural as possible yeah. as authentic i think is the right word mm -hmm. for it uh yeah. but it's also about showing the moment that you were there. So put some effort into actually being there in the first place. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And then, so coming back quickly to nature's light, I've mm. been involved there. Obviously you guys do a lot of awesome trips. Um, what is the, not the, the, how can I say it? What's coming what up? You, no, no, yeah. Well, 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 before we get to what's coming up, what would be, so what can someone expect if they come on a trip with nature's light? 
So the workshops are, they're all small group workshops. So the idea is that you're going to an amazing location, but with a small group, you don't want to have like a million other photographers around you. Um, mm. One of, one of the, the guys who we work with and well, he's the other partner, Nick, he talks about tripod rage when you have just too many people in one location, now mosquitoes, uh, too many people in one location and yeah. you just want to murder them because they're getting in your shot or whatever. Yeah. So it's small group workshops, great locations, one-on-one -on -one kind of interaction with the instructors that you've got. So we've got a, a three-to-one instructor, uh, well, sorry, photographer-instructor ratio. So if mm. there's six guests, which is our maximum, we don't take more than six photographers with us, there's two instructors yeah, so that you've got... Really, yeah. I, I think it's an, I think it's a, an industry best, actually. Mm. Unfortunately, it does take the price a little bit up, but not 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 astronomically. A lot of people think, gosh, now you're going to be the most expensive uh, workshop on the planet. But because we're South Africans and we earn measly South African salaries, um, <laughs> we're actually not that expensive in comparison to some of the big names easy. that you're going to get in the States and Europe and England and uh, Britain, for instance. Yeah. So yeah. I, th I think they are relatively well-priced. And we go to some amazing locations. And the other thing is we try to find locations that are not over-photographed. So yes, we do do Iceland, but we also do places like Madagascar. And I'm going to Namibia's north in two months' time, which is hardly ever photographed. People mm, know about Itosha, but then they don't go up to the Kanani River and Upupa Falls. And very few workshops go as far as Puros, for instance, which is in the middle of the desert in this great yeah. near the Huarasib, um uh, river valley i think you've been there actually yeah i've been yeah i've yeah. done that uh once or twice but not dedicated photographic trips but yeah, yeah i mean that that trip is something you know that that's definitely something for the for the um uh yeah to put on the wish list or to in terms of photography yeah uh, yeah, yeah so those are those are some of the places we yeah. go and um yeah i mean if you, uh, you'll no doubt put links and stuff down in the bottom we're always looking for new locations as well. And I mean, we're hoping to open up for a workshop in Zanzibar. We are potentially going to be doing one in Madagascar's north next year as well. So okay. completely new area to our usual workshop location. Mm -hmm. And uh, Chris, who you remember from yes, yeah. marching up a mountain with, is supposed to be opening up a route into Vietnam and Cambodia for, for us at some point. Uh, okay, I think I remember. Yeah, he has got some history there. I believe. Yeah, that's right. He did yeah, quite a lot so. of work there between working for Getty and Gallo Images, and uh, then forming his own photography kind of studio. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I have to admit, sometimes I'm quite jealous to see how things are. Uh, not well, not jealous. Like a FOMO for see how things are progressing there with with uh, Nature's Light and not being able to to be a part of that. Uh, that uh, well, have you, you let us know, and you can come back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think some people might have something to say about that, but um, yeah, maybe we could do some trips <laughs> in the future. Um, definitely, yeah, and to do some stuff around Europe soon. I mean, yeah, I'm still getting my head around everything, all the, the legalities, and because Switzerland, especially, is very formal in terms of of that type of yeah, that type of uh, arrangements in terms of insurance and guiding guiding fees and that type of of, of stuff. But yeah, I mean, I'm always, it's always in the back of my mind when I speak to people, especially. Um, yeah, in our region, because I think here you can definitely do some very nice active photography trips in terms of hiking, overnighting in the mountains, looks beautiful really lakes, cool. some glaciers. It's really, yeah, there's yeah. potential. Um, but uh, yeah, that's something that, that, that 
hopefully we can we can get to in the future. Um, okay, so we covered. I think we, we we managed to cover the wine versus beer. Although I think you you enjoy wine as well. Love wine. <laughs> Maybe at heart I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone with kids tend to enjoy a glass of yeah. wine, and everyone needs a glass of wine in the in the evening. Um, if you had to choose one lens for the rest of your life, what focal length would it be? We know Probably which brand it will be. Millimeter. Twenty-four. Okay, mm. interesting. Yeah, it's um, it's wide enough for decent wild uh wide angle. I can always stitch if I want to go wider, and mm. I've used it for environmental portraiture, particularly like industrial stuff, a lot. It's a great lens, and if I really yeah. need to, I can always crop in a little bit. Whereas, yeah, mm. longer lenses are sometimes harder. So twenty-four, absolutely. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I think I'd have to agree with you if I were although. Not, I'm not completely agreeing with you. I'm saying it's a good choice. <laughs> yeah. But I find myself here, especially in the high mountains, I mean, Drakensberg would be the same. Like, I find myself actually, like, longer lenses are much more valuable to me because I can mm. isolate aspects and... and no, um, that's a good point. Uh, the, I mean, you know, I use having my... Having that, that compression with, 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 especially if you're photographing over the peaks, but you can isolate small aspects, whether it's a, a mountain hat against the background or a... Yeah ridge against a higher peak in the background where they have a wide angle lens you need a foreground and quite often foregrounds and then the peaks in the background are are, are diminished in terms of they're of, diminished you know, that's yeah. kind of why i like the 24 because i think it's the widest you can go before your lens starts diminishing the, or hmm. at least the mountains start getting smaller i look i use my 70 to 200 f4 in the mountains all the time as well hmm. but in terms of only one lens for the rest of my life then i would go wide if it was yeah. only one lens but yeah. chances are, if you said take two lenses, I'd then go to like 135 is the next yeah. one. If it's a prime, if lenses, it's boom, yeah. it would be a 70 to 200. Yeah, yeah. no, for sure. Um, yeah, I think I might go with 30 with with 35. I don't really 35. enjoy that focal length. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you can still you can still crop. I mean, my my other favorite lens is still a 40 millimeter manual focus Voigtlander lens, uh, okay. and it's 40 mils, but it's wide enough that it feels like a 35 but it's tight enough that it's got that intimacy so i mm. absolutely adore that lens yeah yeah and if your subjects aren't moving massively fast or landscape especially like you can you can you know not only panorama you can get up and down and wider and yeah. by, by by stitching yeah um, well yeah. i mean the, my last youtube video which was all about panoramic stitching the shot of me is actually with that little 40 millimeter lens, but I'm getting a 24 millimeter equivalent as a result of the stitch that I'm doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I am I going think... to have to run yeah. before I have my eldest daughter screaming at me that I'm late to pick her up. <laughs> yes. Okay. No, so yeah, perfect. I think uh, I have to soon go as well. I've got a few more minutes than you, but yeah, so... I just want to say thanks very much for uh, for allowing uh, allowing us to catch up in this podcast format. Um, oh, really fun. appreciate yeah. it, and I think we definitely have to do a, a follow up because I've got some more some more questions here. But given everything, I think we did quite well to to make it work. And um, oh, yeah, other than that, I wish you a good rest of the day there. And yeah, I hope you can still get to to Switzerland at some stage, whether it's with or without the family. Preferably with. There's enough space. But um... I would very much like that. But yeah, just man, keep shooting. I'm loving your stuff. So 
I always see it. And um, you, you also make me jealous about the places you get to go and photograph. So <laughs> at least that's good, mutual. Good to know. I don't have to feel complete uh, complete misery because of the FOMO I'm, I'm having for what, what, what you guys are doing. But like I mentioned, yes, I'll put all your stuff down in the description below this, uh, this podcast. And yeah, again, thanks very much. And hopefully we catch up soon. Thanks very much. Yeah. Have a good one. Don't get too cold. Go enjoy the slopes. <laughs> cool. Ciao. Cheers, mate. Bye.